Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. Hey, hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, you sound a lot more cheerful than I feel about um, about life right now. I'm, or was that, or was that just like working, working up to it, working up to the show today? Oh yeah, that's definitely my fake cheer. So enjoy it. <laughs> oh man, uh, there's got to be something to be cheerful about today, though. Come on, like for real, authentic cheer, like <laughs> real pass. <laughs> you tell me what you're cheerful about. Uh, I mean. I had a good slice of coffee cake this morning. That's pretty, that's like right up there for me right now. <laughs> iconic, iconic. I love that. Um, I don't even know what's in coffee cake. Does it just taste like coffee? Is that what coffee cake is about? Here's the secret of coffee cake. It's just cake. But uh, like for, for a long time, I think I thought it like had coffee in it or something. And that is not true. It is just a cake that someone appended the name coffee to, to allow you to eat it in the morning. It's just breakfast cake. It should be called breakfast cake. Wow. What a, what a scam. What a scam. I'm glad I asked that because um, <laughs> I didn't know. And uh, perfect segue into what we're doing today. Um, we are talking <laughs> to, um, we are talking to the most curious person I know, Katie Weaver. And she is 100% the kind of friend who would say what's in coffee cake and then write like 10,000 words about it about how it is actually such a scam and we should just be calling it breakfast cake. Yes, she would absolutely get to the bottom of the coffee cake scam. She would probably like take <laughs> take down some like white collar crime in you know like in the middle of doing that. It would you know like it would be a real caper. Um, <laughs> Katie is one of my favorite writers. She is currently writing at the New York Times, our local paper. Before that, she wrote at GQ and Gawker. And next, Katie aspires to be at the Blue Ivy Carter Presidential Library. And I have full faith that she will be working there soon. I called Katie up to like ask her questions about things that I've always wondered about. Classic phone-a-friend today. I love this. And also, I have to say, Katie is one of your friends who I have never met in person. So I am just going to be like peering through the window on this one. So excited because I also love her work. In the post-pandemic, we are going to do uh, like a meeting of all of the friends, you know, like a swap of like, okay, here's everyone, <laughs> here's everyone that you, here's everyone who you have not met who's very important to me. And uh, Katie is definitely at the top of that list. I love that. I can't wait to listen. Hi, Katie. Thanks for coming on Call Your Girlfriend. Oh, thank you for having me. I miss you. Where are you? <laughs> I'm lying on the floor um, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. How is Santa Fe? Are you loving it? I really am. I, I kind of never want to come back to New York. It's so much better out here. Everything is better. It's pretty good. We had a little bit of snow today. Um, and when I, when I tell my friends that who don't live in Santa Fe, which is all my friends because I don't know anyone here, 
They didn't know that Santa Fe got snow. I don't know. Everything about it is just perfect. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I like Santa Fe. I don't like that you are so far away from me. Those two things are very different thoughts. <laughs> well, I think I'm also having kind of an easy time of it because I know right now that no one can be hanging out really without me. Um, so I don't have FOMO because I know that everyone is just trapped wherever they are, which is making it a little bit easier. What if Joe and Kamala are like, the pandemic is over everywhere except for Santa Fe and then you're stuck there for the next year? Honestly, I think I would still want to be here. <laughs> Um, all I know about Santa Fe is, uh, it's like whenever I go there for weddings, for some reason I have been to so many weddings there. Um, but I genuinely love 10,000 waves, the spa. That's like a, like a top 20, like spa experience for me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm dying to go back. You actually gave me, I don't know if you remember this, some like spray that I use it in New York in the shower. I don't know its actual purpose, but it just makes it smell like 10,000 waves. Um, so I had been bringing 10,000 waves to me even when I wasn't here. But now that I'm here, it's so close. I'm not going there, but even just knowing it's nearby is nice. And actually speaking of weddings, I don't know if you remember this, but the whole reason I am out here is that Taylor and I came out to finish planning our wedding that was supposed to be last year. We were supposed to be here for a truly like five days, maybe. And we've been here ever since. So we got out here like end of February, first week of March with enough clothes to last us a few days. And just that's how long we've been out here. Oh, man. Like when you're not working, what do your days look like? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, every day is basically the same. Sometimes we go for a short drive. We watch a lot of TV together. Um, he has been a real trooper. He's kind of zoomed through several seasons of Real Housewives of New York with me that I was I was rewatching, and he'd never seen them. Um, we both just mainlined Below Deck and Below Deck Med several seasons, several, several seasons. It kind of started to get a little crazy at one point because it was like we were watching multiple episodes a day, every day for like months. <laughs> um, but it's just a perfect show. So I guess my days when I'm not working basically look like I'm on a yacht with like six other people and we're trying to make it work. And the guests are driving us crazy. And um, the chef is a big problem. You know, that's my life out here. Man, I was talking to you about you watching so much television. Because I have a really hard time concentrating on new shows. I'm just rewatching stuff. And he said that it is 100% like a, like a self-soothing mechanism. You're just like, well, yeah, there's not going to be any surprises in the last season. <laughs> Yeah, that I knew, and I was like, "Wow, anxiety response! I love that." Oh wow! I feel like I've always watched a lot of TV, but maybe I've just always really needed to be self-soothing. And I mean, the thing is, I'm such a couch potato that this is to not be able to go anywhere. In some ways, it's frustrating. I'm sorry I haven't been able to see my parents, but if I had to be doing something, watching TV is what I would want to have to be doing. Uh, who are you rooting for in Drag Race and what else are you watching? Let's see. So I, <laughs> I'm i kind of bopping around to all different seasons. I just finished season 12 thinking I was watching 13, the current season, and then I realized I wasn't. So now I'm back on 13. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they they have just divided the queens into two different groups, and they're kind of calling them like the winner's circle and the, the pork chop group. And right now, I really cannot believe, and I have to think the producers didn't anticipate how much better the ones in one group were going to be overall. Like the ones in the winner's circle, I feel like they could all be the winner already. Um, they're amazing. And then the ones in the pork chop circle, I don't know if it's just a couple are bringing down the average, but I feel like they got pork chopped for a reason. Um, the other thing I've noticed is just like the, the level of sort of makeup and performance over the seasons has just blown me away when I bought back and forth between a more current season and an older one. Um, I watched the first season and really liked it. And then I just sort of fell off and didn't watch it regularly. And now I'm diving back in. It started with season five, which a friend recommended. And it's, it's entertaining, but just like these Queens would be cut. I think first episode on, on a current season. Um, one thing that another friend <laughs> who has recently started binge watching Drag Race pointed out to me, he's actually watching them in order. So he started with, I guess, one and is now up to like six. I love a completist. Yes, absolutely. Um, he said, that I think it's around season five that everyone starts describing things as sickening, which they hadn't been doing before. So he's going to keep me updated with like linguistic progress as the seasons go on. I mean, Obviously, everyone in today's, you know, like current seasons has the hindsight of 12 seasons behind them. Right. So, you know, I I have so much more respect for the early queens who were really thrown into the wild, wild west of reality TV before anyone knew what it could be. It's like today, it, it honestly, you see this so much across all reality TV where you're like, everyone is so rehearsed now. They know exactly what they want and I don't like the manipulation of it. I was uh-huh. like... This is not anything, you're not struggling like Nene Leakes was struggling season one of Atlanta Housewives. You are now a cunning participant of this television show and I don't like it. (laughs) But I feel like even with the benefit of hindsight of like 12 seasons, I still wouldn't be, I would still be at season one level at most. Like, I don't understand how people can see all that and, (laughs) and learn from that and kind of specifically on Drag Race and like, just make themselves into these super competitors because I know that I I would have plateaued like well below then, even if I had watched every season multiple times. If you had to be on a reality TV show, your survival depended on it. Which one would you be cast on? So I have to be a cast member. I can't be like, you know, a guest on Below Deck or something. You can't be the host. You can't be a friend. You have to be like a main, you have to be holding a peach. Like which show would you Oh my God. Well, I think everyone goes on The Real Housewives and thinks like, I am going to, I like the audience will relate to me. I actually understand how to not look bad on this show. Everyone goes in thinking that and then they all look bad. So I feel like Housewives is the wrong answer. Oh, actually, I think we've even talked about this. I would love to see if I could somehow scam my way onto like either Project Runway or Great British Bake Off, one of those shows, and just not get eliminated first. I think I maybe could, even though I'm not a great baker or sewer, because I think there will be someone who is really good who will try to do too much, and they will really fail spectacularly. And I think I would probably be bottom two, but maybe not so bad that I would go the first episode. That would be my goal, would be to last two episodes. Wow. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. She has a plan. (laughs) Katie, you are 
probably um i like i feel actually very confident saying this you are the most like curious person i know like naturally curious person i know Um, and it like frightens me and amazes me at the same time but it is genuinely like one of the things i enjoy the most about you like you are you never take any fact for granted you know it was like let's look into that and i and i like i wonder like did you just like grow up being a kid who was like you always needed to know everything about everything oh my gosh that's such a, a nice compliment thank you um i feel like as you're describing that, I was thinking, why am I curious? Maybe it's because I'm so paranoid about being wrong. So I think I grew up like always wanting to, to be the best and do a really good job. So maybe I just got used to like needing to be absolutely certain of things. And I will also say I am uh, really able to convince myself that I'm right about things like way too easily, frighteningly easily. So it's just best for me to to really know that I am right because I understand that even if I have a fact wrong I will always believe that it's right Uh, and that is scary and potentially embarrassing or harmful (laughs) in my life but you're like the poster child for um you know when colleges are like we're looking for a well-rounded student I consider you to be someone who has very well-rounded interest in that you know, it's like you can talk about reality TV for all you want, but also you can write like an amazing profile about glitter or you will travel across the United States and Amtrak and write about it. But also, you know, when I send you a text message and say like, did you know this? You will correct me in like five, <laughs> you know, about anything. Case in point, the other day I texted you and said, look at this insane factoid I just learned. And you were like, Amina, do you actually know the meaning of the word factoid? It doesn't mean what you think it does. And that sent me into a tailspin for hours. <laughs> God, I, I hate that anecdote about myself. I will say I only did it because we are friends and it's something that I would want to be told if I if I were using a word wrong but like I don't want to be the person who just corrects people out of pocket I don't mean it in a like I it's funny that you're taking it as a you know I'm sure that like for you there's always this like oh like do I want to correct this person but I find it exceedingly charming actually and beyond like it being charming I just think that there is such a value in like being precise and especially in being precise with your language you know and being precise (laughs) with your knowledge and I love that you know that's something that I think about so much in an academic setting but actually like in the confines of just any kind of human relationship it's also just beautiful so this is me telling you how much I appreciate it because you also do it in the most hilarious and kind way you're not like one of those like well actually uh, the word factoid comes from the German word blah 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 like this is not what's happening here but I just I love it because I love it's it's such a good showcase of how your brain is and I'm in love with your brain oh that's so sweet thank you Amina so um Taylor my fiance and I have had a debate about this if I use a word either like I use the word incorrectly or really if I pronounce the word incorrectly I absolutely want to know because I want to know how to say that word the right way I'm embarrassed at the thought of saying it the wrong way um Taylor my my sweet boy (laughs) he reads aloud and and speaks really really fast and so sometimes I do catch like oh you know he's 
that's not how you say that word. And I, you know me, I love to jump in and say, like, so you know. But he argues, and I actually like the argument that if you are mispronouncing a word, it makes you look smart because it shows that you've only seen that word written and like you're trying to use a new word to you. So it's like it shows you're a reader basically and not afraid to expand your vocabulary. I'm really glad that Taylor's mom told him that because that is a very sweet story. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say when he said it to me, I was kind of sold on it. I was like, yeah, you know what? Fair enough. But it didn't change the fact that I still want to be corrected. Well, here's my perspective that is slightly different is that, um, and I think I've shared the story on the podcast before. So people are probably sick of hearing me say it. And Anne has definitely heard me say it a million times. One of my biggest frustrations when I was learning English, and even now, is that I I find that American English speakers are are very shy about correcting you. Because I guess in American culture, there is something embarrassing about it, right? Like you're pointing out a failure. Uh I would say that in French, um, people correct you all the time. And it is like really obnoxious and other people consider it rude, But it's because you're like, there is a norm. The way to do it, though, that I really appreciate that the least obnoxious French way to correct someone when someone says a word wrong, or if you're speaking and you use the wrong tense, or you, you know, like you get the expression wrong, is instead of looking at you like you're a wildebeest, the person just repeats what you said and then incorporates it in the speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a different way of saying that. So, like, I remember, for example, my, uh, well, this is a separate story, but my English teacher in high school, this is AP English. This is, like, literally a story how you know that, like, adults are all idiots. Is <laughs> reading out loud something, and I said the word um, awry. And she was like, oh, no, it's Ari. And she was so mad. And I was like, why are you teaching AP English, ma'am? Like, you have the word wrong. But anyway, um, what I, you know, had she been right or had the tables been turned and, uh, you know, like I had said Ari, like this situation is gone or Ari. All she had to do was say, um, was say, you're right. The situation has gone awry and then move on in her speech. Like uh-huh. you just use the word. So the other person clocks it. Right. And then, you know, and then like if, if you the normal interaction will be oh is that how you say that how is that how you pronounce that and then you can have a conversation about it mm. but i don't think that there's anything wrong with um with correcting people i think that it matters how you deliver it but i also think that people are really um i notice this a lot more here and i think it's just a cultural difference that people get really embarrassed you know when they get a word wrong i get words wrong all the time but i also um have the hindsight of in learning a new language, I know that I got words wrong all the time. So I don't internalize that as a personal failure. You know, I'm just like, sorry, I don't know how to say that word. It's not the end of the, like a, like a word I didn't know how to say recently was now I can't even pronounce it anymore. That like butterfly cocoon thing, chrysalis, chrysalis, however you say but I will be looking it up after this conversation. (laughs) Right. I believe um, my friend Jenny corrected me. It's chrysalis, I believe, or she, she didn't correct me. She said it the correct way. And I was like, oh, is that how you say that? Um, and I believe it happened on this podcast even, but you know, I just, I think that like being embarrassed that you cannot say a word is such a privilege. And also just to me is like, are you serious? Like there are so many other things to be embarrassed about in your life. And, uh, you're talking about me specifically. No, I'm saying to like, like people who internalize that criticism, I, um, 
that's something that I let roll off my back really quickly because I, I do think that there's something correct about Taylor's point of view is that it does show that you, yeah, people who read and don't say words out loud, like usually you don't know how to say the word. Like the first time I said the word segue out loud, I was shocked that it was the same segue <laughs> that I was reading in a book. I was like, mm-hmm, segue? that's wild. <laughs> Even though you know what it means. But I just, yeah, I'm just like less ashamed of people for not knowing how to pronounce things, but also less feeling ashamed because you don't know how well, to pronounce Well, I will say the best feeling and I can even think of a word that this happened to me on um, is when I realize that I've been saying a word wrong because I hear someone say it right, but they haven't yet heard me say it wrong. So it's like, oh my God, you don't realize you just gave away the whole game. A friend of mine <laughs> once said the word detritus, which I of course assumed was detritus. And from that day, I have never said it incorrectly, even though I had not. Now it's a word I use all the time. I go out of my way to say it because I know how it's pronounced. But it wasn't even, the freaky thing is it wasn't even a word I wondered about. Like, oh, maybe I wonder how to say this. Like, I know how to say this. And I was evidently simply wrong. Um, What you were saying about the way that French people correct people, which I really love, reminds me, a British friend told me once that if you're like at a table with British people and you want something, like let's say you and I are sitting at a table and... I want more mashed potatoes. What I would say is not, if you pass the mashed potatoes, I would ask you, would you like some more mashed potatoes? And then that's supposed to be your cue to either say yes or no, but more importantly, offer them back to me, which truly like would not have occurred to me. And I love that idea. It's all very weird cultural theater, you know? Everyone is just, like, there's just all these subtle cultural norms that you have to be on top of. And sometimes I like them and other times I don't. But I I guess like what the thing that it always makes me think of is that norms Uh change, you know, and also you can be in charge of setting your own norm because all like rules of um, politeness are just, I I find them very oppressive, even when they're really Uh useful. I was like, there's not way to be in the world and we should let people just you should ask for what you want and you should also um you know like state your needs and also be a be a useful person in the world to your point i mean if someone wanted me to pass the mashed potatoes and asked if i wanted mashed potatoes i would be like oh no thank you and then just keep talking i definitely would not pick up on that cue I know, but I find that very passive aggressive. It's like, why wouldn't you just say that you want some? And then you <laughs> them. You know what I mean? But again, they're just I like every culture has these weird things like that that you're supposed to do. And it really it really drives me crazy. Like when um when Anne and I were writing our book and we were reading about um Deborah Tannen, this woman who is a um she's a linguist she's a linguist and she writes a lot about this, you know, this the subtleties in um the ways that women speak to each other. One example that she used is, you know, like women will always say, like, huh, aren't you cold? Instead of saying, Can you turn the air conditioner off? <laughs> like who says that when I'm cold I tell people I'm cold like this is so <laughs> weird but I do recognize but I do recognize that in wanting to be polite there are a ton of other ways that we make in like I make specifically very indirect requests of people mm-hmm. and my takeaway is always like just say the thing that you want because this is a weird not everyone is picking up on this frequency mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well I read a thing recently um in a, a book that I read for for work for a story that I'm working on this someone wrote a line that was like I'm going to, I'm going to misquote it, but it was basically requests build intimacy. 
So it's actually good to just ask people for things directly because that kind of starts uh, like a back and forth connection uh, rather than sort of like dancing around it and coming at it from a bunch of weird ways. If someone feels like I have given you something that you wanted, I have helped you, that just, you know, fosters a connection. I, like, I love that. that is, can they teach that at school, please? <laughs> and I have found actually, I, I got into the idea um, for a year ago or no, a few years ago. My New Year's resolution was just to ask people directly for more things, which I had forgotten about until we started talking just now. But I'm just going to ask for more and see if people will do things. And the answer was yes. And I remember the first day I put into practice, I asked a man like sitting in another row on an airplane, could you get my bag down for me? And and he just like, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And normally I would have just struggled with it myself. And I was like, oh, it's actually fine to ask people. How nice. You've never asked me. I don't like this. I ask you for things all the time. I literally can't think of one thing. <laughs> um, okay, I want to ask anything that you're offering. I would like it, and I have it. <laughs> okay, I'll give you everything I have, Katie. I promise. <laughs> I would honestly take it. That's the sad thing. <laughs> Um, I want to ask about your ideas again, because you are, you're obviously like a very, very good reporter. You are a very good writer. Um, but before you do all of those things, like where do the ideas live? Do you have an ideas like journal? Do you like jot things down in a note? Do you like, like, how do you, how do you know that something that you're thinking about is like worth pursuing? Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like it basically at that, at the level of like picking stories, I kind of never know. And I'm, I'm one of those people who is always sort of scrambling for stories and trying to come up with things. I, I get my ideas just sort of from talking to editors. And a lot of times it'll be me like sending them a bunch of links and being like, oh my God, isn't this funny? And finally they're like, you actually need to now write about this because you've talked, you've given me a monologue about it for 20 minutes, just wasting time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then once I have the idea, I do try to stick to the, the sort of premise that if I don't know something or if I'm curious about something, then other people also won't know it and will you know, be at least somewhat curious about it. I try not to include information in my stories because I feel like I have to, only if it's something that I really think is interesting or didn't understand or was wondering about. I feel like the, the glitter story I wrote for The Times is a pretty good example of this because that was just me... It, my editor had had asked me to look into another story and I wasn't really finding stuff. And I basically ended up on a, a YouTube video of like CDs being crushed. And I was like, oh, that looks like glitter. And then I realized I didn't know how glitter was made. And that was more interesting to me than the original idea I had been looking up. So I was like, can I just like figure out how glitter is made? And she was like, yeah, okay. And then I, <laughs> I just set off on that quest and it ended up being a lot more complicated and secretive than I thought it would be. But once I found people who did know how to make glitter, you know, it's kind of like that, that scene in my cousin Vinny. It's like, explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. I really do. 
ask people to do that, need people to do that, because I feel like I, I don't have a very strong science background. So if, if a story tiptoes into scientific territory or engineering territory at all, it's really like, okay, back it up. How do we make electricity? Um, <laughs> I, I asked someone that at a party once, and they, they were able to explain it to me. For a while, I knew, but it was I, I couldn't tell you now. I could kind of, I could tell you a version because I'm able to convince myself that would like probably sound pretty much right, but it would be absolutely wrong. <laughs> I have never once thought to myself, how is glitter made? Or like looked at a thing that I use. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I don't know how my watch is made. I don't know how my phone is made. I like, I, I don't even know how my body like stands up every day. So I'm glad that someone is investigating all of those things <laughs> for me. <laughs> But you know where that comes from? My my papa, my grandfather used to love to say, point to any room we're in, point to anything in this room. The guy who invented it is a millionaire. But he's probably right. <laughs> is that why I'm not a millionaire? Because I don't have a question. So now I'm just, I'm constantly looking around rooms and being like, oh my God, why didn't I think to like make screws or oh why didn't I come up with the idea for denim I could be a millionaire oh my gosh or the person who made that little table stand that they put in the pizza boxes so the box doesn't crush yes. the pizza. I'm, sh- I'm sure I had actually looked up um, the person who invented that I can't remember off the top of my head but that's I, for have sure. I have looked that up because Domino's Pizza was like when I used to work in digital PR a million years ago they were like one of my very first clients at the place that I worked at so I unfortunately mm-hmm. know a little too much about that but I can't tell you anything about it it's oh I want was it was it Domino's that came up with it I actually read the the uh, memoir of the Domino's founder no it's disputed Domino's says they definitely came up with it but some you know like other people are like mm, like did you come up with it or did you just make it popular you know yeah yeah so i love i love people who fight about inventions i just can't be bothered <laughs> to invent <laughs> i would love to invent i have no idea how to do it i can't think of anything we need i'd love to complain but i don't ever take steps to fix it i just like to put the complaints out there into the air if you had to like have a business your survival depended on being like uh having a startup and your startup had to be like a very ubiquitous one. So kind of how like every, like you go to the airport and everyone has an away suitcase, you know, or, or you're walking around New York in Brooklyn, you're walking around Brooklyn and everyone is wearing Blundstones or whatever. What would be one thing that you're like, this is what I would do? Like my, my I mean, literally, if I knew the answer to this question, I would already be doing it. And like, we wouldn't even be talking because I would be too rich. I, if I had one idea, I would have done it. I don't know. What can I even think? Like, I don't, I don't have any useful ideas. I can't think of anything I could make that someone else would want. I'm trying, oh, well, you know what? What? This isn't, <laughs> this isn't my idea. And I think there are probably a lot of reasons why they don't do this. But one, one problem that I would love to have fixed is I think that hands of Diet Coke should be about 50% bigger. Um, <laughs> or only have the small cans but make them cheaper because the small cans like two or three of them is the right amount of soda but they actually work out the, you're paying more per can than like a normal size can but a normal size can is not quite enough to get me through a meal I would like another like 30 to 50 percent more soda without having to open a brand new can and then waste half that can so I guess I would be the person who, who has 
exactly replicated the taste of Diet Coke and then created a can that is a little bit larger to contain it. I love this. Another interest of yours, I mean, we've kind of touched on it, but not really, is um, you like really like linguistics, Katie. What's up with that? Was that like a college major thing for you? Like what did you do? It was a college major. Well, the reason I got interested in it is I ha- I went to a really weird, small, like, it's a, it was a private school, but to call it that sounds a lot fancier than it was. Um, but a really small, like, little community school from preschool through eighth grade. And it's the kind of school, it wasn't part of, like, a network. It's not a name anyone would know. It had 100 kids in it, and it was basically just run by these sisters who, like, felt like they could um, run a good school, and they could. It was very old-fashioned in a lot of ways, but I got a really good foundation of things, and um, they had a great, great, great eccentric French teacher there who I loved, Madame Schaefer. Um, And she would always, when she was teaching us words, she loved to show us the connections between words. And like, so yeah, so this one teacher would just like really made words seem sort of like fun puzzles that were out there in the open for anyone who cared to explore them. And then eventually I found out that like that was kind of a thing called or related to a thing called linguistics and so when I applied to college I also thought I think English would have been the most natural major for me but I thought that there were going to be a lot of English majors so maybe it would be good to number one like show interest in a slightly different subject and then also I would be competing against fewer people if I were not an English major if I were a linguistics major say so that's what I majored in and a lot of it I really liked I learned a ton of great fun party facts a lot of it was quite hard <laughs> and I would say of the it's it's such a small major at my school I think there were maybe there were definitely fewer than 10 of us the year I graduated but like I was obviously the worst out of our group of six people or however many we were I was like the worst at linguistics and it wasn't bad I just was they were like making up languages on the weekends and stuff and they understood computer science which I did not but yeah, I really, I really liked a lot of it. And it also taught me, it was a lot of good experience, like reading kind of dense scientific papers for some of the classes, which I think has actually proved useful um, in my career, surprisingly. Uh, yeah, I've just always been really interested in it. I love learning about words and where they come from and how they relate to other words. I love hearing people speak other languages and trying to parse out you know, if I'm watching something with captions in a language I don't know, I love trying to learn words just from that. Um, do you do that whenever you're watching uh, our Danish TV show that we're obsessed with, Borgen? Yes. <laughs> yes I'm I'm pronouncing wrong, um, but I'm not going <laughs> to learn how to say that the correct way. Uh, I do that all the time, and I cannot figure out which word is which, except for when they say spin doctor, which is what they call publicists, and I love that. I love it. Yeah, really, really good. I eventually I got a call. I was able to kind of glean a couple words from that. Well, what's the other one you told me that's so crazy? It's like apple juice means orange juice or something. Apple scene is orange juice, but it's also um, what uh, they say in Denmark for cheese. Like whenever you're like smiling in front of like before a photo. Oh, oh, I love stuff like that. I think sort of what I like about language is it also I really for whatever reason really like just things that show like our humanity across cultures. So I love when like everyone has a different word for that. I really like cultural 
constants if I find something very like charming about them <laughs> knowing that like oh and people over here in this place that I never heard of they do this too it's sort of um you know it's like heartening I like I know that I sound like a broken record Katie but I just I love this because you just really embody a quality that I think everyone should have. It's one, like generally like being curious, but also knowing where to find information because this is the stumbling block of everybody who drives me up the wall on the internet, for example. You know, people are just like, how? Like they just like say wrong things or they do wrong things and no one, no one goes to like find the thing that you're supposed to find to make it right. And I just like really appreciate that you are, you know, you're like, I got to like find how to know a thing that I don't know about. So Katie, you have written a lot of celebrity profiles. Yes. They are delightful to read. The Justin Bieber one is, um, it's like in my top 10 of like anything I've ever read ever about (sighs) anything. I love it so much. It is hard to make something out of nothing. And I, my nightmare would be to write a celebrity profile because I'm just like, these people don't really give you a lot to say. They're promoting a thing or whatever. So I always appreciate that you have like a different entry into um, writing about that. But I, I guess like, I wonder like, what has surprised you the most about doing that kind of writing? I think, well, one thing I'm always confused by the fact that number one, that these people are talking to me. I know on some level, they kind of are obligated to if they have to promote something. I just think I would be afraid to do it because there's so there's so much room for error on the part of the person being interviewed. I'm really confused by the fact that if you're already rich that you keep doing things. I talked to Jeff Bridges and he has been acting for so long. He's been in so many things. He clearly has enough money. And it's just like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Or like The Rock. I remember playing The Rock. It's like, why are you doing this? You have done enough. I admit, if I made what I considered enough money, which I think would be a lot less than these people, um, I would definitely stop. So, I'm not, I guess I'm sort of surprised to keep doing it. I'm mainly confused. Um, one thing I always notice and I'm pleasantly surprised by is when someone, if I'm interviewing them like over a meal, if they offer to pick up the check, most people don't, which is fine because they shouldn't. It's always like the place will pay for it. But I remember, the f- I think the first celebrity who ever did that was Kim Kardashian. And I had to like really insist that I would pay for it. Or that, you know, GQ would pay for it. Condé Nast would pay for it. I'm pretty sure Maya Rudolph offered, but but most people don't. Wow. Yeah, which is, again, it's fine because it's it's sort of like, well, we could say that it's maybe it's bad that they're offering because it's like they, they should, they presumably know at some level that like, I'm not actually paying for this. They don't need to pay for it. They know they're probably getting their head. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then it's also like, well, why doesn't everyone offer if, if, you know, just to look good. I have so many things to respond to that. One, I feel about celebrities continuing to work the same way that I feel about um, writers who are still on Twitter, you know? I'm just like, why are you still here? <laughs> like, you have you've already accomplished a thing that you came here to accomplish. But I think that what, you know, like with actors, one, obviously the, the good take is that some people really genuinely like their job. And so they will keep doing their jobs. 
you know, but at the same time, I'm just like, for a lot of those people, it's their medium. Like if they're not acting, how do they stay relevant in public life? And I don't know that they know how to do that. So they have to keep acting. But some people, it really like boggles me, especially the older the actor is. I'm always like, Mm-hmm. 79 like working you know like where is retirement and obviously the answer is yes some people really enjoy their work and I should really honor that but I'm like you I was like there's an amount of money that when I get it you will never hear another word from me ever again like I'm like, absolutely I'm retiring from all activities like Maggie Smith how much fun could you really be having is this really the absolute most fun activity for you to be participating in is making a Down Abbey move so so yeah so that's I'm always I feel like I'm always asking famous people the same question which is like why why are you doing why do you do this like did someone smell really good was someone like so much nicer than you thought like so much more beautiful even in person than on okay Yes, these are great questions. So beautiful Cardi B in person with no or very little makeup. Couldn't believe how pretty and like such delicate, like she looked like a tiny ballerina doll to me, like in a music box. Um, Really pretty face. Smelled good. Also, yes, Sarah Paulson. I did a very short interview with her for GQ. I interviewed a bunch of people from the cast of the OJ show and she smelled really good. I think I probably asked her what she was wearing and she told me, but then like months later I was in New York and I was waiting for the subway and all of a sudden I smelled something really good. And I was like, where have I smelled that before? It smells like Sarah Paulson. And I looked up and it was her. (laughs) (laughs) And that's also like the only celebrity I've ever seen in New York. I didn't say anything. I would never go up to a celebrity. I always remember that she smelled really good. I'm, always really touched if it's a phone interview if the celebrity just calls you directly I think I understand why they wouldn't want to but I think it's a smart move because it's it's always like oh if we gotta go through the publicist it like takes it just kind of starts it out on an annoying note and it's like I'm never gonna call you back or anything don't worry about that or call me from your publicist phone even it doesn't have to be your phone but um I'm often surprised by like kind of the lower level of celebrity that goes through their publicist. People who will just talk to you directly. John Travolta called me himself. He's like, Katie, it's JT. <laughs> Did you tell him that that's Justin Timberlake? <laughs> no, I didn't tell John that. I didn't tell J- JT that. And actually, God, while I was talking to him, that was like one of my worst interview experiences because I used to live in an apartment in New York that was like ground floor first buzzer. So anyone who needed to get in would just buzz my apartment. And so someone was going to another apartment and was laying on my buzzer and like would not stop. And I had to be like, John, I'm so sorry. I have to like buzz on a stranger. I don't care if they're here to kill everyone. So he called directly. I'm pretty sure The Rock, uh, yeah, The Rock made himself like just available to like pick up questions or whatever if I need to get in touch with him he was good I mean he's um, for president obviously so I know the minute he <laughs> announces you're gonna be his spin doctor so that's uh that's how that's gonna work it's kind of learn off Bergen and just my innate self-confidence I do believe I could get him into the way <laughs> I think I could get anyone elected in any country because um, I've watched every season of Bergen. I mean, you could definitely get him elected in um, in Denmark. Good luck. Um, for for Taylor's birthday, I made him a fake 
Danish campaign poster. Like he was running. <laughs> like he was running in the fake TV election we watched. Everyone should watch Morgan. This is my, this is, I, we're doing this whole episode to convince everyone to watch it on Netflix. It's so good. Please do yourself. It really is. Do yourself the pleasure. Okay, Katie, last question for me, even though I could talk to you for an hour more and hours and hours more. When you were growing up and you were like, when I grow up, maybe I'll be a writer or I'll do all these things or blah, blah, blah. Like all of the aspirations that you had for yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. Today in the pandemic with everything nuts that's going, do you think that like baby Katie would be very much like, yeah, this is a really good life for me. And this is the life that I built for myself. Oh my gosh. She would be absolutely thrilled. I will say I, when I was young, I was like, positive I was going to be on SNL and also already stressed about it. I was like, Oh my God, this job is like really hard. I'm having to come up with sketches all the time. And like the hours are crazy. So I, I was like, kind of, you know, I was like already ready to quit the job at SNL, but I didn't. have. So the fact that I have created a life and also the pandemic has created a life for me where I just spend like all weekend watching TV and I am going to be marrying someone who's like always happy to get pizza. Like, that would be perfect for me. I actually used to, when I was really little, say that I wanted to marry a pizza man, like a pizza delivery man. And Taylor did that job one summer. So I, my dream has come true. Oh, Katie, I miss you. I can't wait. So I see you next, hopefully at 10,000 waves or maybe at a pizzeria. Um, oh, please. God, Amina, you know what? They won't tell you this. I will. Santa Fe has better pizza than New York City. I'm hanging up on you. I'm hanging up on you. You're going to get both of us canceled. I comment about anything on the internet except for pizza because it just never ends well. So I have nothing to say about your pizza commentary. Come to Santa Fe, try the pizza. Man, I loved that she gave so many juicy um, like details about the celebrity interviews that she does because I'm all, I always never want to ask because I feel like it's rude to ask, but I love it when the friends who interview celebrities like volunteer that stuff. This is also the secret of why we love to do phone a friends, which is uh, you get to ask your friends the kinds of questions that might seem weird uh, of like of someone who you're just casually friends with, but in a semi-professional setting, you can be like, wait, no, tell me actually how you do that. True story. Katie Weaver is amazing. Follow her on Twitter. Her tweets are actually very good. And I, um, as someone who hates Twitter, that's that's the highest praise I can give. Um, her <laughs> tweets are very good. Her articles are very good. Follow her on all platforms and uh, knock yourself out. We will also include a list of like her very best uh, things that she's written. If you've not read her big feature on glitter, you are playing yourself and you should do that. And all of the celebrity profiles are worth it. Uh, see you on the internet and in Katie Weaver's archive. See you in Santa Fe one day. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us callyrgf at gmail.com our theme song is by robin original music composed by carolyn pennypacker riggs our logos are by kanisha sneed we're on instagram and twitter at callyrgf our producer is jordan bailey and this podcast is produced by gina delbach